you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. 2017 Pro Bowl vote is here. It's time to vote for the NFL's best players to earn their spot at Pro Bowl, where the best meets the next. Help your favorite player earn a coveted spot on the Pro Bowl roster. Vote today at NFL.com slash Pro Bowl vote. And now, move the sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Hey, everybody, what's happening? DJ Bucky here. Move the sticks on a Tuesday as we're recording this. Bucky, and a lot to get to today on the episode. Got some NFL to recap. Got a pretty interesting college football weekend. Um, We've got maybe a few additions to our bad body, good player list that we're keeping up with here. But uh, before I get to my weekend adventure, how was your weekend? Uh, Weekend was good. Football was great. Had an opportunity to watch a lot of football. Got a chance to see some of those nice college games. Got to see a lot of NFL talent. And then the Sunday games were terrific. You know, we had some some really good games where we're seeing people separate contenders and pretenders. All right, we're going to get to those games in just a minute here, Bucky. But my weekend, I went to LSU for the Alabama-LSU game. Had a nice weekend down there. I had been to LSU before to watch them play Georgia back in the Matt Stafford, A.J. Green, no Sean Marino days. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the first time I've been to a night game down there. Ooh, how was it? Well, I didn't sit in the press box. I sat in the end zone in the stands, which is great from a scouting perspective. It's nice uh, to sit up in the press box. You can see everything up there. But in the end zone, if you want to study offensive line play and see the trenches, no better place to watch a game uh, than in the end zone. So it was fun to watch that battle. But in the stands – LSU, I mean, look, I understand you're going to see some foul. You're going to hear some foul language at football games, okay? I get Earmuffs. that. I get Earmuffs. that. You're going to see some of that. You're going to hear some of that. LSU sets it the bar so high <laughs> that I know most of the LSU players, Buck. I know they're, I know they're you know, senior draftable guys. I know they're top draft eligible players. I know them. I don't know, didn't know much about the quarterback, you know. So about halfway through the second quarter, I, I – was going to have to pull out a program because I thought his name was F. Danny F. <laughs> that's how the LSU fans were referring to him every minute in the stands. So it was, a, it was a rowdy atmosphere, but it was a lot of fun, man. It was a great time. It was a lot of fun to watch it on TV. It was a lot of fun to watch um, teams that you know are loaded with NFL players. And I know a lot of people don't like a 10-0 game. It was a defensive battle. But and when I'm looking at those teams play, particularly on the defensive side, the speed that you see them play with, the physicality and athleticism, the collective talent that was on both sides of the ball in terms of Alabama's defense and LSU's defense, you know right there that you're looking at a lot of top picks in the next couple of classes. And I was excited to kind of see it take place because I thought it was a really good game. And I don't know if you can ask for anything more if you're a scout to see those guys go best on best. Yeah, it was good on good the whole the whole day. I know people – I get hit up after the game. Oh, Leonard Fournette, does he not go – high if you were to come out now because of this game. I'm like, I don't care who you put back there, man. The way the way that defense is set up, 
You're on both sides. Yeah, both sides because Alabama didn't have a lot of success being no. able to run the ball as well. I thought Alabama could have been more aggressive downhill runner. I thought their offensive line had a little bit of an advantage on the LSU defensive front, but they came out trying to get cute and running a lot of stuff on the perimeter, and they ended up popping uh, Hurt out the the back door once, Jalen Hurts out the back door once. But I thought if they just lined up and wanted to come downhill on them, I thought, thought, they could, I thought it could have had some, a little more success. LSU – it appears on TV, LSU looks a little They're smaller. Leaner, leaner, yeah. Yeah, a little smaller than Alabama. Alabama, like those those heavyweights, oh, yeah. this extra heavyweights. And this is not the LSU you know, defensive fronts we've seen in years past. I mean, they got one really good player in Arden Key. Um, they're good. They're good. But they're not at the level. Not at the same level they, that they, we've, we've seen them have three and four top-rated picks Mm-mm. on that front line. They don't necessarily have that there. No, they're, your they're, they're pretty good. Your safety's a dude, though. Yeah, Jamal, Jamal had a, a pretty nice game, came down here, made some plays. Um, I'm impressed with both secondaries because I think in the back end for Alabama, Marlon Humphrey, um, Eddie Jackson didn't play, but Minka Fitzpatrick is a guy a that is versatile enough. And, you know, the, the the funny thing is we're still waiting on O.J. Howard to have a big game, but I know just on the hoof, yeah, he looks like and everything that you want. You know who you know who my, my comp is for him the more I've watched him? And he doesn't get it, he didn't get the ball as much as this guy did in college, but just athletically and how he plays is Ebron. That makes sense, um, having known Ebron, because Ebron played in North Carolina, watched him play a lot. He split out and did a lot of different things. O.J. Howard definitely has that athleticism, and I think he's more of the new school tight end, mm-hmm. um, the guy that can split and play in the slot. If he goes to the right team, he can be that guy that kind of gives you what Jordan Reed has given some teams, given the Redskins, a versatile slot player, a guy that can catch 65, 70 balls and kind of be a difference maker because – He's going to be faster than most linebackers, and he's too big for most safeties. Yeah, and uh, and Jordan Reed, by the way, 2.0, plays at South Alabama. Yes, tight end. You're going to hear a bunch about him as we go forward through the draft process. they got a tight end at South Alabama that is a stud. He is a Jordan Reed clone. Uh, it's a great year for tight ends, Buck. Uh, I'll jump off the college thing here and jump back on the NFL thing. Uh, we'll circle back to some of the other college mm-hmm. happenings at the end of the show here, but from the NFL weekend, Buck, I think probably you're looking for big storylines and the interesting matchups, interesting games. I think you probably start there with the Raiders and, and their kind of physical dominance up front, their offensive line just getting after the Denver Broncos. You know, it's funny because we're going to do a scout school on the Cowboys' offensive line, but we just as easily, easily could take a look at the Oakland Raiders' offensive line, the way they mash people at the point of attack. They invested in the offensive line. They wanted to get bigger and more physical up front. They wanted to be able to run the ball when they wanted to run it, I mean, they could dictate the terms. And they've been able to do it. And I'll be honest, I don't know if they have a necessarily a blue chip back in the backfield, but that offensive line is Ooh. so good that they create a push that – I won't say anybody could run 400 yards behind them, but I would say most backs in the league can certainly run behind it. We saw Latavius Murray have a pretty big game. We saw some of their other running backs come in and have contributions. But because they were able to dictate the terms and run the football, I felt like they dominated the game, even though the score doesn't necessarily reflect the level of dominance that the Raiders displayed that night. I'm trying to figure out how Baltimore let Kelechi Osemele get out the door, man. That's one of those dudes you just lock up a year too soon and he, just don't let him leave. You no, know, how about that? Uh, Osimile, he's a dominant Gabe Jackson, um, Donald Penn has been solid. Austin Howard's on the other side. They have been able to protect him. And so one of the reasons why the quarterback has been so good, he's not taking a lot of unnecessary hits in the pocket. All right, what the, that's the one my the one that jumped out to me, Bucky. I thought Chargers-Titans was another interesting one. The San Diego Chargers kind of got things rolling. I, I, I was watching their tape this morning and from that game, and one of the things all these teams really in the AFC West have in common is they can get after the quarterback. You look at Kansas City with D. Ford, the way he's come on, the way he's played. 
Um, you look up, obviously, with Oakland, with Khalil Mack and company, Denver, Von Miller and company. But this Chargers pairing, now that they have Melvin Ingram paired up with Joey Bosa, we'll do a little clip on this on Total Access later in the week, but they'll put them opposite sides and they can win. But I love it when they pair them up side by side and run games with those two dudes. That's going to be a problem for people. It's going to be a problem. And it's unfortunate that Joey Bosa missed the first four games of the season because I think he probably changes the, probably the At outcome. Least one. At one, maybe one. two, yeah. puts him really, really in the mix. Uh, what I like about Bosa and what he's doing, and we said this, but I don't know if we thought he would be able to kind of take it and transfer it to the next level. His motor, his technical skills allows him to always be a disruptive force. And now when you have two guys, you have Melvin Ingram on one side or you pair him right beside him, they create problems. And in talking to Melvin Ingram, I had a chance to talk to him. Uh, I called him after the game and we talked about what was going on. And he said – when you have two guys, we don't have to blitz. Joey and I can take turns. We can go either side. It doesn't matter. We just line up and play. And now as Joey Bosa becomes more comfortable, the defense coordinator, John Pagano, can take more risk, do a couple more exotic things, and do it without putting that secondary in jeopardy. It's the perfect mix of what they have. But everyone down in San Diego Charger land will tell you, Brandon Meebane has been the key oh, he's a stud. to their defense. Brandon Meebane, they can't understand why Seattle let him go, but he's been a godsend for them in terms of his ability to control it in the middle. It allows everybody else to play well. Corey Legette is also playing pretty yeah, well. Yeah, there's no room to climb up in that pocket because they're so stout inside. Uh, any games jump out to you, Bucky? Any results that uh, stand out from the weekend? Well, this game stands out. It doesn't stand out necessarily for a reason because the game wasn't competitive, but the New Orleans Saints getting a 4-4. Four and four. And the reason the Saints are compelling to me is the formula that they're using. They're beginning to run the football again. And they're running the football with a two-headed monster in Tim Hightower and Mark Ingram. And when they last won a Super Bowl, they were sixth in the league in rushing. They were able to attack you in waves. And so looking at the stat sheet, I want to say Mark Ingram had 20-plus carries. Hightower had maybe 17 or 18 carries. When you have that kind of commitment to the running game, you're dominating at the point of attack, and you're also dictating the terms. When the Saints are able to do that, they can keep that defense on the sideline. That gives them a chance to win a lot of games. One of the things I was thinking of, too, for themes from the week, and we're going to do a little video on this on uh, some oldies but goodies, older players that have big-time games. And, uh, you know, won't spoil all the names that we had on there, but a couple guys, you know, the tight ends. You had Gates um, and, and Witten both have big games. But, man, Buck, one of the guys who, when I watched the tape this morning, Cameron Wake. Yeah. For the, for the Dolphins. Had a couple sacks. And, uh, and it, you know, it's got me thinking on this. When you're talking about building a team and building a championship team, you always lean towards younger guys. But I think there are some, there are some value of these guys, the, the Frank Gores of the world, the Cameron Wakes of the world. They just seem to, to still get it done at an older age. So when you're building your roster, I don't think you just completely exclude – those guys. I mean, I think you. I think you keep those guys around. Maybe it's okay. You know, the old adage: you don't want to. You keep get rid of a guy one year too early, as opposed to one year too late. Yeah. But I. Th- I mean, I look around the league and I see a lot of these older veteran players playing at a pretty high level. I think the big thing with that is you have to have a clear plan. Like if you're going to take an older player, you're going to keep an older player around. Does he become a situational player? So, for instance, in Denver, Demarcus Ware is a situational pass rusher. Third down, obvious passing downs. He comes onto the field plays to his skill set. In Green Bay, that's what Julius Peppers is doing. He's not playing every down, so you're able to still squeeze out some production. The big thing with the veterans, you want them to be able to still have enough game left where the guys can respect him as a dominant player. And when they still have the ability to produce big plays, now you can kind of get the, the train 
heading in the right direction because they still can speak up and be the vocal leader in the locker room and they still make enough plays where everyone has to kind of fall in line because they're still one of your upper echelon players on the roster. Anquan Bolden's another great example of that. Absolutely. You've got to roll for him. They get down in the red zone. He's a big, physical, strong guy. So the field gets condensed. The speed becomes less important, and he has a nice role and, and does a nice job for them. So I think there is there definitely is uh, is role, roles for those guys. I do think you don't have too many of them. You don't want to be a slow football team. The no. Old, the older you get, technically, the slower you get. So you need to have a fast football team, but you sprinkle these veteran guys in. Yeah, you have to be able to do it in a team-building process. You have to understand where they are. You have to really have an accurate gauge on what kind of production they can give you when they're later in their career. And you also have to be willing to play some of the young guys because eventually the young guys have to get on the field. And so you have to find a way to rotate those guys. I talk about DeMarcus Ware, where Shane Ray is a guy that is starting now. So Shane Ray gets to start. DeMarcus Ware gets to come in. They have some packages where he, Shane Ray, and also um, Von Miller on the field. Take advantage of this skill set, but don't wear your old guys out because really you begin to need them then we're after the midway point. When you're making the dash for the cash, the stretch run, you need those veterans to kind of get everybody going. Got to give you some credit, Bucky, because we did a, a debate video earlier this year. Trailing late in the fourth quarter, who would you want as your quarterback? I said Ben Roethlisberger because, you know, look, they aren't, aren't a trailing position, haven't been very often, but he's who I'd want there because of what he can do in the pocket, out of the pocket. And uh, obviously we've seen him do it in the biggest stage in the Super Bowl. But you went with Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford. You know how many wins the Detroit Lions have this year, Bucky? Uh, what, four? They have to five. Five wins. You know how many come from behind wins five, huh? this year? Five. Five. Man. Matthew Stafford. It, look, I got look. He was dealing at the end of that game. The one thing I want to ask you about when I watch the tape on this, they got to get down and get into field goal position. Minnesota is rushing three. Okay, I'm okay with the. Everybody's pointing out the rushing three. I'm okay with that. But they are just they are just scattered across the field in the zone with so many big seams for a huge arm quarterback to he can find. Fit it, he can fit it in. I'm just sitting here going, you want to rush three, that's fine, but but trail underneath these receivers. Put somebody out there and trail underneath them. You know, it's the hardest position for defensive coordinators to be in to figure out how do you play, quote-unquote, prevent defense without necessarily conceding a lot of yards. You, you want to kind of come after them, but then you're scared of giving up the big play. A lot of times you probably better serve to play your regular base defense. Your, whatever was on the game plan sheet, whatever you had coming in that Roll you thought – could do it. Drop the safeties back an extra 10 yards. I don't care. You drop them back, but you have to go in. The quarterbacks are too good. If you play soft and they get a sense that you're playing soft, they will pick you apart. They will slice you up. Matthew Stafford, you talk about having a big arm. Yeah, if you're going to play soft zone coverage and have big lanes, he's going to squeeze it in there because he's fearless. There's so, so many defenders out there just it. covering grass. You know, I don't know. It's, it's a tough predicament, but who you you wouldn't think that he would have enough time to do it, but he's done it traditionally throughout his history, being able to find a way to get him there. They have a lot of confidence, a lot of momentum building as their defense begins to play better. Detroit Lions are a team you have to talk about. No, and in that game, I mean, his stats will look much better. I counted five drops in that game that they had. So um, Matt Stafford still found a way to get it done. Um, anything else uh, from the NFL weekend before we jump over to college real quick? Uh, I mean, I, I think the big thing, the biggest surprise for me, uh, you talk about Frank Gore a little bit, but the Indianapolis Colts going, going on the in road. There getting one. And beating the Packers, I don't know what to make of the Green Bay Packers. I know Aaron Rodgers talked about they didn't have a lot of energy on the sideline. They couldn't figure it out. I think beyond that, the biggest problem with the Green Bay Packers, they're flawed. They're flawed in the sense of they can't play a balanced offense. They they, they can't use a balanced approach, meaning they don't have a dominant got wide receivers back. playing running back. Yeah, and so without – like in this era, and we're seeing the feature back is beginning to come back to prominence. I'm not saying that you have to put a first-round pick in them, but you need to have a guy that can stay on the field and do everything. 
The Green Bay Packers are missing that, and that is the one ingredient that prevents their offense from maintaining the level of success that they've had the last five or six years. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting to see how they sort that out, how that division sorts out will be fascinating. The Lions, who know, who knows? Maybe they're uh, their team to come out of the NFC North. Um, all right, but college weekend outside of LSU, Alabama, I was kind of wrapped up into that. But Ohio State, they pulled out the whooping stick this week. They did pull out the whooping stick. You know, I I don't know what to make of it. Uh, Tommy Armstrong went out the game. That kind of took a lot of the life out of Nebraska. Uh, Nebraska is good, not great. They I know they had a, a, a top ranking, but they're okay. The big thing that I want to see from Ohio State is I want to see the quarterback play better. I want to get a better sense of what Samuels is. Is he in? Receiver, is he a running back? How do we grade and evaluate him? Because for them to win and win at the level that they want to win at, they're going to have to take on a Michigan squad. And every time I look at Michigan, Michigan is they're playing after at people. a very, very high level. And they are a physical bunch. I know Ohio State is physical, but, man, Michigan's physicality and toughness stands out. How about the Cowbells? <laughs> Mississippi State. Getting after the Aggies from A&M. A&M gets in there at number four. A&M, I know they're beat up a little bit. Miles Garrett's not healthy. But, man, Mississippi State? Really? I didn't expect it, but the quarterback played really well. Quarterback had nice production. Um, I don't want to say he was Dak Prescott-like, but he was. Uh-oh, uh-oh. He gave, he gave you some um, production not only as a passer but as a rusher. Anytime you have a true dual threat, um, it creates problems. And Mississippi State – at the right situation, they can snatch you down. That SEC is funny because I watched Arkansas. Arkansas gave it to Florida. Yeah. And I oh, I didn't it. see that coming. And they ran it. Yeah. I mean, they ran it down their throat. They were physical. They ran the ball the way they wanted to run it. So, really imp- impressive effort. And I want to say Arkansas plays LSU this weekend, which should be a really, really good game to watch. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that goes uh, going forward here. This next week will be Washington-USC. will be a fun one. We'll talk about that a little bit on Thursday, Buck. want to get to this uh, good body or bad body, good player. We might have some new additions to that team. But one of the things I want to do, because we get a lot of scouting questions on Twitter and people wondering, you know, some of the inside uh, scoop there on how you do this job and how it works. And we were talking about this on the phone the other day, how let's just take a, a position and, and let's go over what on the tape you're looking for or, you know, how you go about watching tape. Let's just take the – let's say corner, Okay. Yeah, corner position. So we've got the player. We 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 know we're going to evaluate player X. So what we're going to do is we're going to pull out our notebook. We're going to write his his name, his number, his position, his verified or all the official height, weight, speed. All we the have. numbers right at the top of the page. I'll I'll even if it's the end of the season, I'll even write down some stats at the top. You know, maybe he's, he's got three picks, fourteen PBUs, which are pass breakups. He's got two sacks, whatever. So I'll just put those to kind of have a frame of reference. And then, uh, and then we're gonna we're gonna flip on the tape. The first play's going, Bucky. What what are you looking at? When when I'm looking at cornerbacks, the first thing that I'm trying to look at, and the first thing I do is I put my pen down, and I just want to let the tape run for a little bit. I'm trying to figure out what does he line up, what do his movement skills look like, just naturally. How is he playing? Is he a press corner? Is he off? Is he bailing? Uh, does he flip sides of the field? Does he play right corner and left corner? Is he in the nickel package? I'm just trying to get a feel for where he lines up and can I – So you're not taking a note for the for, for how long? Man, you know, like most of the time, like I, I won't take a note for maybe the first quarter, for maybe a half. I'll just watch and see if I can get a sense of what he is because I'm fearful of – if I start taking notes right out the gate, I don't have a point of reference for how he's played. So I want to get a sense of how he's playing, what he looks like, and what he's being asked to do. Then – I look at all the stuff. I see all the verifies and stuff that we have. And I, I look at the speed, and I'm trying to see, hopefully someone is taking them deep early so I can see if and the speed. Out a little bit. Yeah. yeah, if the time speed matches up with the playing speed. 
And then as I started to delve into how he plays, I began to look at the, the footwork. How does he transition, meaning how does he go from his back pedal to coming forward? How does he turn and run on a deep ball? How does he uh, press at the line of scrimmage and shadow guys? And the, the really important thing now that you have to talk about in today's game, is he a tackler? Mm-hmm. Will he come up and tackle? And some systems, like when I was at Carolina, corners had to tackle. Like that was one of the things that we were asked very early in the assessment and evaluation. Does he tackle? Is he a physical tackler? Will he stick his, his face in the fan? Those things. When I was in Seattle, we didn't talk about this as much, but they couldn't be cowards. They couldn't be guys that turned down. Get him on the ground. Just get, get him on the ground. ground. Just get him on the ground. So we would talk about this guy's a striker or this guy's a wrap-up. He'll bring you down. He's just going to get you to the thing. But I look for ball production. You talk about interceptions, pass breakups. How is he around? Is he close in coverage? And then I look to see, does he have problems playing bigger guys? As we look at the National Football League, most of the wide receivers are now trending above six foot, six two, six three. How does he play against big guys? Does he play big or does he play small? Those things matter. So I'm looking for a versatile skill set. I'm looking for a competitive player that is also physical. And then I'm looking for someone that against big time players, he steps up and matches their level. All right, for those that don't know, because a lot of times I feel like we can throw out some terms and maybe I don't I don't do a good enough job of explaining them. So I'll let you I'll give you the term and let you just kind of tell the folks at home what we're talking about. We're evaluating corners. We want a guy that's that's constantly in phase. So explain to people what, what that when, is. When we talk about being in phase, one, we're looking to see if a guy is very comfortable in his technique. So if I'm playing off coverage, meaning I'm about seven or eight yards off the line of scrimmage at the time of the snap, and I'm backpedaling as the receiver is closing my cushion, whether I turn and run thinking that, oh, he's about to go deep, or if he makes a break either on a curl or end cut, does he transition? Does he uh, – go from front to back pretty pretty easily. I'm looking to see if he's in control throughout the down while he's in coverage. Mm-hmm. Or is he a panic guy, meaning, okay, the guy's going deep, he turns and runs, but now he's pawing at the guy. You sense the panic on the tape that he's not confident that he has him. Being in phase means to me that he is always in the right position to be able to make a play on the ball when the ball is thrown at the moment. Of truth. I, I always think about kind of like that arm's length. You know, no matter where he goes, if he if he tries to get by, if he tries to come come across your face, if he's breaking out, I always want my guy. If he's in phase, he's in position to make the play. Now that's when you get to the next level of the evaluation. What does he do when the ball's in flight? Moment, the moment of truth. But you can't make a play on the ball if you're not near where the ball's going. So you're in phase. You're always kind of within arm's length of where you need to be, the guy you're up against. But then, to me, the really uh, the most underrated aspect, and and we need to focus even more on that. You can have the best coverage in the world if you can't find the football. It doesn't matter. No, if you can't find the football, it doesn't matter. So one of the things that I do very early, sometimes I do it the day before or after, I look in the bio. And what I'm looking for in the bio. Baseball, basketball. I'm absolutely looking for, for me, particularly with defensive backs, cornerbacks and safeties, I'm looking for baseball background. Because if they played baseball, they probably have played in the outfield. They understand how to judge the ball in flight. And it's a, a skill that is underrated because a lot of guys cannot judge the ball in the air. And so... If guys have baseball in their background, I'm pretty confident that they can make plays on the ball. And the example that I used recently was Sinquez Goldston mm-hmm. coming out of Ole Miss, where he was a almost an all-conference player in baseball. I want to say he was a drafted baseball player, so you knew. If we go to another position, Eric Decker. Eric Decker played, I want to say, center field for the Minnesota uh, baseball team, Gophers. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so those things matter to me. I'm looking for guys in their background that has that stuff. 
Yeah, we just got in our ear back there. That was the next next thing I was getting ready to say was primetime. Deion yeah, Sanders, absolutely. Obviously, the best ball skills of maybe anybody that's ever played the game on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, so, played so you, professional baseball. Yeah, so you're looking for that, and that's why in this in this rush of specialization in youth sports, you look for guys that have played multiple sports. Basketball players are also good, but there's something about a baseball player being able to track the ball off the bat is very similar to being able to be downfield and see it come out of the quarterback's hand. If those guys have played and they're comfortable, they don't panic when the ball is in the air. Those guys pretty much have a tendency to come down with more picks and more turnovers. One of the things that always jumps out, and like Kevin Johnson's evaluation um, as a, and the coverage aspect of it, to me, it, he was always in a pedal. He wasn't, you know, always in a side turn. We see a lot of these colleges, man, it gets so frustrating because they play, I just call it, they play with their butt to the sideline. It's a side shuffle. It's looking through the wide receiver back to the yeah, quarterback. Yeah, a little bell technique. I, Constantly. You, know, you, you can watch guys – you can watch five, six, seven games and never see a guy getting a pedal. You know, and, that, and that's the thing. Um, God, to go all the way back, I'm going to give you a name, a blast from the past. How about Alan Zemitis? Oh, wow. From Penn State. Old school. I, yeah, I think he had eight or nine picks. He may have had more picks than that his final season at Penn State, but he was a guy that was always in bell technique. You call it that side shuffle. The thing that I don't mind if a guy is – if he's in bell technique – I need to see him do more things beside that. If he can press, if he can yeah. bail, if he can play off. One of the reasons why I was really high on Marcus Peters when I looked at him, I saw him utilize yeah. a bunch of different techniques. And I think this game is one where I don't know how many guys can be one-dimensional and have success. And we can talk about, oh, you got to fit in the scheme. But at the end of the day, the guy has to have more tools in his toolbox. I need to see him be able to press, play off, and if you – can bail a little bit. It just enhances what you can do. It gives you an opportunity to throw different things at different players because you can't treat every receiver the same. The way you play DeAndre Hopkins is a little different than the way that you play Antonio Brown. And so you got to be able to have a couple different things to throw them off. I mean, let me just give you if you're if you know some of the people at home that like want to break down some tape and and aspire to be scouts or whatever. There's some there's certain questions you can ask yourself once you've watched a corner. You should be able to answer, you know, some questions. See if you have any others that come to your mind. Number the first one I start with is can he run? Yes. If you can't run, I don't, I don't care. You're going to get exposed at the next level. You got to be able to run. So can he run? That's one question. Uh number 2, can he find the ball? Yeah. Ball uh, skills are important. N- number 3, I I like is he tough? You know, and that to me you don't have to be a killer as a tackler. Again, you talk about being. But a he has to be able to get in. And get, you can get a guy in the ground. But it's competitive. That competitive toughness ball. That to me is the fifty-fifty balls. That to me, when you got to fight and scrap, is he have some of that toughness to him? Because that can even overcome some of the size limitations you might have. It's even more important if you're undersized. You better be all day tough and scrappy and physical if you don't have the the height requirement that you're looking for. Those are those are three big ones I come up with. And, and obviously, are, is he fluid? Are you a fluid athlete? Would yeah, is he a herky jerky yeah. athlete? Is he a guy that is smooth in his turns and transitions um how does he get in and out of his pedal can he do different things and press coverage does he play press the same way where he just tries to jam and throw you out off the field from the sideline or can he shadow uh for me one of the questions that i ask i try and get a feel for his football iq meaning can he play both sides is he a guy that inside outside inside slot is so much different than outside and a lot of times uh the thing that frustrates me when people say oh he's a nickel corner well, to me, He's never played in the nickel. Right. I expect the nickel corner to be your best corner because playing inside, you have to deal with two-way goals. You have to be tough enough to also be a fit in the run game and do some of those other things. So a lot of times people like to say, oh, he's a short guy, so he's a nickel corner, but everybody can't play that position. And so it's really important that you track what they do. The latest example, I will say, of, of a guy like finally understanding what he is, 
Mo Claiborne. Mm-hmm. So Mo, Mo Claiborne was the sixth overall pick when he came out, I think maybe 2012. In Dallas, he went to Dallas and he played early in his career at right corner. Well, if you looked at the tape at LSU, he played both sides, but he was always best when he was to his left. This year, one of the reasons why he's playing better, he's playing on the left side because that's his sweet spot. He's very comfortable being on that side of the field. He's used to seeing the ball out of one eye. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk like when you're in your stance and you're in a pedal, you're looking at it at your have a right eye. eye. Yeah. So he's used to executing those things. And so when we go for those pro days, it's very important for me as I'm taking him through drills to get a feel for Okay, he really is good pedaling. He's really good with his turns and transitions on a certain side. Let's make sure we bring that up and make sure coaches know that. All right, Buck, I think that's good. I think that's a little good little insight there. Real quick, behind the glass, just give me uh, give me one new addition. Let's just add one new addition real quick. Bad body, good player. We've had some recommendations. We're looking for a defensive end. We have a linebacker's position open. We have two safety spots and a corner spot. I'll Arjuna. give you three safeties. Okay, we three to choose. Let's just Let's just choose one today, Buck. You got Eric Weddle, T.J. Ward, Reggie Nelson. I think I would go T.J. Ward. I would say T.J. Ward. That, that's the first thing that came up. So we put T.J. Ward. Welcome he made to the, the team. T.J. Ward, you made the team. T.J. Ward. You our, by the way, our of our bad body, good player roster, Donald Penn having a great year. Oh, how about a little? And he has improved a little bit. The body has improved. I, I got and he so showed good. his hands. He's got a touchdown. He's I mean, a that's touchdown. what I'm saying. He's having a great year. Let's he'll tell a, he'll tell you that he's a great basketball player too. Antonio Gates, who's on our team, is have, having a great year. Richie Incognito, I mean, he's been solid, doing well. Um, so we got guys here that are representing and, and playing well. Uh, Revis, not so much, but um, that's okay. We got to find another corner. We got to find another little, little. Give us some names on Twitter. You guys have done a great job with this, but we have a couple spots still to fill on our bad body, good player team. We need a defensive end, a linebacker, a corner, a safety. And whoever wants to do the Lord's work and give us a long snapper, <laughs> you, you, we, I don't, we don't have, we don't have swag. If we did have like a move the sticks coffee mug, I would surely send one out. We could, maybe <laughs> some NFL Network uh, gear. We got, we got, we got big wigs behind the glass today. Can I get a thumbs up or thumbs down on NFL Network coffee mug for somebody? Oh, if, yes, we have a thumbs up. We have a How thumbs up. Whoever that? gives us the worst bodied long snapper in the NFL on Twitter. You have an NFL Network coffee mug coming your way, my friend. Man, how about that? All right, Bucky. You good? I'm good. I am good to go. All right, that's going to do it for us. We will be back next, uh, earlier, uh, later this week. We'll have a president, and we'll have uh, plenty to talk about with a big college football weekend as well as NFL weekend to come. Thanks for checking out Move the Sticks, for downloading the podcast, subscribing on iTunes, and for leaving us comments. We've got some new comments on there on iTunes. We appreciate it. All right, hope you guys have a good one. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.